remember FDR's famous line, there's nothing to fear but fear itself. Well, apparently that doesn't apply in Canada in 2015, where fear is being pushed as election bait. Look at this Conservative Party Facebook post. Basically, be afraid, be very afraid. But along the way, sign the petition of support. Andrew, Bruce and Chantel are here, and with extra time tonight as Rex is away, Jennifer Ditchburn from the Ottawa Bureau of the Canadian Press is with us as well. That ad over the top or not, Andrew? Uh, I, I think we want to avoid being too dainty about it. I mean, politics preys on fears all the time. I've certainly seen worse than that. There's a legitimate issue at the core of it, which is that there are terrorists who are out to get us. Uh, there is a bill that they have brought forward that you could criticize, and many people have, but it's their response to that perceived threat. There's going to be an election in which that's going to be front and center. Help us, you Tory supporters, help us defend that bill. I think it's in the details that it really starts to go a little bit awry, which is you know, naming the Edmonton West Mall, the West Edmonton Mall, mm -hmm. uh, um, the, the, the details of the photograph, et cetera, take it a bit beyond, uh, certainly beyond the only thing we have to fear is fear itself, it takes it beyond kind of calm resolution into hair on fire panic, and that's where they lose people, I think. It's so shrill that it is the shrillness you would expect from a party that is at the tail end of an election campaign and really not doing well. And that's when you start seeing uh, things that are over the top. I don't disagree with Andrew's arguments that this is part and parcel of the debate that we're into and there is an election coming. But to collect money with you know, this, this, this kind of picture in the West Edmonton Mall is so over the top that you have to think some high school class is kind of drafting these, let's have anything that comes to our head and put it there. And it is part of a trend, I mean, on, on the latest announcements on law and order, the title is There Are Murderers on Our Streets. Mm -hmm. God, uh, I want an escort, uh, military escort to come here next week. Just in case. What, what's next, yeah. sir? The zombie apocalypse. I was thinking, okay, murderers in my neighborhood and my, the subject line of the email, what's next? But remember the last election, and I sat through so many speeches uh, by Stephen Harper during that, it was that there was a sea of troubles lapping at our shores. So it's, we're going into a second uh, election uh, campaign where it's sort of based on fear. It was, back then it was the economy, the global economy, and this scary coalition of the NDP, the Liberals, and the separatists, right? Uh, so the question, I guess, is whether it can work a second time based on this. And perhaps it's a little bit shakier. That, that are people really that afraid that um, terrorists are coming to their local mall or that there's a murderer living beside them in their neighborhood? Or that the opposition will open the door to all of them. That's, yeah, exactly. That, and then that surely is what they're trying to play. Bruce? Well, I think it shows pretty poor judgment on the part of the conservatives. I think in the first instance, it publicizes the idea of a terrorist attack on a uh, on a public facility and people would be entitled I think to wonder if that is something that helps make them safer I think the second thing is that it looks self-interested rather than public interest and in effect the party is saying be scared and do something by the way to help us win as a consequence maybe more importantly and why the conservatives might want to avoid these kind of tactics going forward is the PM is making some progress I think at looking like a serious custodian of this serious issue and uh, something like this really undermines uh, the notion that this is serious. It looks like just another political game. And if the conservatives look as though they're trying to have it both ways, that they're playing political games around this issue while at the same time trying to convince people that there is a grave threat and you need serious people in charge to deal with that threat, 
they'll regret that if they do more of that kind of thing. All right. Mind you, it's been attacked for the last three days that it's out there and it's still there. I mean, they haven't pulled it mm -hmm. down, so they must feel that it yeah. works well, for them. Although the conservatives are not happy with yeah, it, right? No, exactly. Even with some conservatives. are coming out to say, yeah. you know, yeah. this. And I, I'm thinking the West Edmonton Mall and yeah, so the Edmonton City Council go right. down the list. Can't be happy about this. Right. Wouldn't think so. All right. You mentioned uh, murderers. Well, we have an answer on murderers, too, because yesterday uh, the prime minister announces that it's now uh, going to be a life sentence. Is it going to be a life sentence? unless you can, after 35 years, make an appeal uh, on your case, but you've got to make it now, not to the National Parole Board, but to the federal cabinet. Here's how the prime minister outlined it. Now, let me be clear. This is not parole. Unlike parole, decisions will not rest with an appointed board, but with the federal cabinet. Men and women fully accountable to their fellow citizens and to the families of the victims of these crimes. Well, you've got to go back to 1959, the last time the cabinet had anything to do with these kind of decisions. Jennifer, what do you make of this? I see sort of a contradiction between their position on the anti-terror bill and this one. So in, in the anti-terror bill, they're saying, trust the judges. Uh, the judges are going to make sure that the um, intelligence agencies are, aren't overstepping their bounds. In this case, they want to take the power away from a tribunal that's specifically impartial. The minister can't direct the National Parole Board to do X, Y, or Z. They want to take it away from the tribunal and put it in the cabinet. And as we all know, decisions get made in the cabinet uh, room, and they're not all based on public service and altruistic um, ideals. They're sometimes based on, uh, I need to get elected, I'm in trouble in my writing, I, I'm getting killed on this issue, so let's make a decision based on that. I mean, I hate to say it, but that happens. So we're going to transfer the power uh, over people's um, prison sentences into a place that's completely unaccountable. We have no eyes inside the cabinet room. Uh, so. yeah, you know, it, it, it's unfortunate in a way, but this year you have to look at everything through the prism of an election. So you look at this and you say, is this really about law enforcement or is this all about politics? Uh, this is all about politics, but in this case, it's gone through legislation. I mean, I feel much more strongly about this than that ad, which was rhetoric. Mm. This is a policy. This is legislation. The issue is not whether there are some prisoners who are too dangerous to ever be released into the public. Of course there are, and that's the case now. They're kept in, in prison for the rest of their life. The issue is whether all of them are. Because effectively, aside from the, this incredibly faint hope that maybe a sitting politician uh, on the cusp of an election would release a heinous criminal into the, you know, it's not mm -hmm. going to happen. So it's effectively, we're, we're, they're, they're saying, any prisoner convicted of these crimes will be locked up until they die. Uh, that's a remarkable departure from practice in this country for the past several decades, and it deserves to be very thoroughly debated. Bruce? Well, it's hard to believe on one level, Peter, that after this many years in office, it somehow has just come to the attention of the cabinet that there's a problem with heinous criminals uh, being cut loose. So uh, the idea that this now is an emerging public policy priority really does make one want to raise an eyebrow a little bit. I, I guess I also feel like what the government's really trying to do here is to taunt the opposition parties into positions that look as though they're less concerned with the safety of Canadians, whether it's about terrorism or whether it's about criminals here in Canada. And uh, to put the opposition leaders in a real quandary, whether they want to pick those fights, whether they want to appear to be or uh, allow themselves to be put in a position where they're looking like they're arguing for some possibility of... Uh, a reasonable treatment for somebody who committed some horrible crime. I think they'd be wise, politically anyway, to avoid that. But by the same token, the idea, we don't elect judges here. The idea that we're going to change fundamental policy um, is going to beg the opposition parties, I think, to take issue with some of that anyway. 
I find it hard to believe that Canadians will not give a hearing to the other side of the argument on this because it is so obviously driven by politics. Um, one academic called it, I think the description was the best description, a solution in search of a problem. Uh, I also find it interesting because it's part of a larger pattern which uh, involves the Conservatives no longer crafting laws with lawyers helping them to make sure that they have charter-proof legislation, yeah. but rather coming up with legislation that is either over the line or on the line and daring the courts to overturn it and then turning around to say, you see, the courts have again undone us. I'm not sure that that's a, a, a way to govern that can be sustained over the long run. It certainly makes the relationship between the courts, the rule of law and the government more stressful. But it also seems to me like uh, this government is building a case one morning to use the notwithstanding clause and start skirting the charter, uh, having accumulated enough defeats that it is seeking with bills that, uh, by, on the looks of them, will not be sus sustained by the courts. And unfortunately, I'm, the court has, to some extent, given them some, some ammo on some of these. I think they've made some wonky rulings. But I take your point, certainly, that... Uh, this is reckless. This is a, a deliberate attempt to court, as you say, a, 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 a finding of unconstitutionality. You should not be drafting legislation that you know is going to be thrown out. That's mm -hmm. just basic statecraft. Um, and to do so, as I say, on, on the basis of there's some epidemic of people being released after 25 years in jail, uh, when they can probably barely stand upright after which, uh, and they're you know, somehow out there menacing our streets, it's just, it's just demonstrably not true. All right. Shift focus here for uh, one other topic before we take a quick break. Uh, and it's about Justin Trudeau. Um, he was last night uh, in Vancouver, UBC, talking to students and found himself in a Q&A session uh, with those students. And the topic of conversation for a good chunk of the time was Bill C-51, the, uh, the anti-terror bill. And, and he was being challenged. I, I, I want you to, to listen to a bit of this. Thanks to CKNW, our friends at the radio station in Vancouver, who uh, gave us their audio copy and pictures from the, the UBC, the uh, UBC paper. Uh, here's just a short excerpt of what happened. Listen to this. Yes. 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 No, I, I, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Yeah. No, thank you. Thank you for expressing your concern. And I've, I've heard this. We've heard this from Canadians, and I share those concerns about this bill. And that's why the pressure that you and everyone else uh, are putting on this government is getting them to understand that if they don't bring in oversight, if they don't bring in review, if they don't narrow the overly broad provisions in this bill... Uh, they're going to have a very difficult time in the next election campaign convincing Canadians that they're worthy of their trust. All right, so that's part of the exchange. The, the, some of the reporters who were there wanted to talk to uh, Mr. Trudeau afterwards, but he, he said he didn't have time. The question I've got is, is he finding himself now trying to defend his position as opposed to uh, dealing with C-51 in these kind of Q&A sessions? And is that a sense of what we may be looking at in terms of an election campaign? Yes, I think so. I think it probably does speak a little bit to his uh, relative inexperience uh, as leader of a party competing uh, in an election where he has a chance to win. I think we're going to see more situations where he's going to find himself in a, in, a, in a quandary where his opponent's agenda is going to be the one that's on the table, that's in front of him, that he feels obliged to respond to. And, of course, all of the best strategic advice that he could get in a campaign is 
don't let that be uh, the focus of what you're doing. His problem right now is he hasn't yet laid out exactly what his campaign is going to be about, so he doesn't have the opportunity to pivot and say, that's a good point, here's what we're going to do with that law, let's talk about something else now. Um, so I think he's, uh, he's hitting some bumps along the road, and this is a taste of what uh, the Conservatives have in store for him, I think. Jennifer. Well, it makes you wonder whether there's any room anymore in Canadian politics for a gray area. And I think he's finding perhaps that the room is uh, evaporated to almost nothing, or you can't sort of be on, in the middle of two fences. You have to take a very definitive position, which is maybe, maybe not great, but that's just the reality. But I would say at least he puts himself in venues where he'll, he will take question, negative-type questions, uh, which is not always the case uh, for other leaders. So... I, I don't know. I think, it, as Bruce mentioned, it's going to be difficult for him on this particular bill, for sure, in the next little while. Andrew? Uh, I think the calculation was that they just don't want the Tories to be able to say, you voted against that bill. If you look in, in functional, practical terms, there's no real difference between the Liberal and the NDP position on this. The, Liberal, the NDP position is the bill is half empty. The NDP, Liberal position is it's half full. The NDP would vote against it but would, would not repeal it. They just amendment. The Liberals would vote for it and then change it afterwards. So you wind up at the same place in the end. But they're playing to different audiences. The NDP is playing to the more hardcore, anti-conservative, anti-C51 vote. The Liberals want to be able to get that security-minded voter but be softer about it. The problem with all that cleverness that the Liberal positioning is, you wind up doing what we just discussed, which is voting for a bill that you know is un has unconstitutional provisions in it and saying, well, the Supreme Court will clean up the mess afterwards or we'll, get, we'll clean up the mess afterwards if we get elected. Um, it, that's problematic, I guess. All right. I've got to take that break that I was talking about. But when we come back... Uh, we'll have this for at issue, this question. The Duffy trial, remember that? Starts in a month. What's the latest on the Duffy story? That line was written by the PMO to deceive Canadians as to the real source of the $90,000. Okay, we're back. Get used to all those terms again because you'll be hearing them when the trial starts for Mike Duffy uh, next month. Back at the table, Chantel, Andrew, Bruce, and Jennifer, they're all here. Um, Rosie Barton, as you saw again tonight, had another story this week uh, in terms of what to expect when that trial starts, some of the, the ways that it appears the RCMP has been tracking Duffy and trying to determine uh, how they're going to press the charges. Uh, Jennifer, you've been writing about this as well. What should we expect? Well, I mean, what I'm interested in the trial, there's a couple of tracks. Um, one is uh, the PMO staff and uh, that window into the culture mm -hmm. inside the Prime Minister's office. What made them think it was okay to try to um, influence an independent audit, to try to uh, whitewash a Senate report? We're going to be hearing, presumably, from some of uh, those staffers. The other thing I think that um, hasn't been given a lot of attention um, is around this expenses issue. Uh, Mike Duffy's always maintained that he was within the rules, within the Senate rules. And um, I think there will be a very interesting debate within uh, that trial, but also in the Senate, because they're all under the scrutiny of an auditor, right, of the Auditor General, as to whether the rules um, actually were too vague or, or there was too much gray area, and whether he did anything differently than, let's say, another senator um, would have done in his caucus or another caucus. And I think that that, we're going to hear a lot of discussion in the courtroom about how specific the rules were. You know, there was enormous interest in this story when it first broke for a considerable length of time after that. One wonders if the trial turns into this 
kind of debate over taxi receipts and hotel rooms, how much interest will continue on. It's true that we will probably get some insights into the PMO, but the focus will change dramatically from question period. In question period, it was all about the PMO and Stephen Harper and how it works. This is about Mike Duffy. Uh, and the people from the PMO who are going to be there are going to be asked questions about Mike Duffy. He is the center of this, and that focus makes it, frankly, less interesting. Uh, not that it's not a great story, but it is... I think once you get there, it's no longer about the Prime Minister and the PMO. It's about a senator that I think many people have decided was an errant senator. Whether he interpreted the rules loosely or broke the law, that's an open question. But uh, that focus makes it less of a, a politically explosive story, I think. Unless somebody drops something that none of us were expecting. Well, and it depends what Duffy and his lawyers do, because they may wish to shift the focus a bit. Uh, certainly that in his speeches in the, in the Senate uh, floor, he was certainly making it about them and about what they told him to do, what they made him do. If there's any, I think, explosive thing in this beyond the, you know, the, the hot question of what did the Prime Minister know, which I doubt we'll find out, it's, it's why were all those senior Tories so desperate to make this not very significant senator happy? Why were they going to such lengths to, quote-unquote, make him whole and to, to get him the money and to keep him quiet? And Mr. Duffy may have secrets to tell about that, or he may not, but we'll find out. Bruce? Well, I think the question in my mind is whether or not Mr. Duffy is really approaching this trial looking to prove his innocence or uh, share some guilt uh, with others. And I don't mean guilt necessarily in a legal sense, but culpability for what happened. Uh, it's probably a reasonable bet to assume that his lawyer is giving him advice that says, look, job number one is to keep you from being convicted. Now, I don't know whether he'll be convicted or not, but I imagine that it's impossible that his reputation will be improved as a result of this trial. For the government, I think the stakes are really about... There's only so many weeks left in this political calendar between now and the election. How many weeks do they really want to have this be the sound that's coming out of Ottawa? Regardless of whether there are any great big news items that we haven't heard of before, people will be talking about it, and that means it'll be crowding out some of the other things that the government wants to talk about. Well, I guess we're only a few weeks away from uh, finding out the answers to those. Jennifer, great of you to uh, join us again this week.